Please join me as we pray before we look to God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the message we've heard already today over and over again. A message of the King of Heaven leaving heaven's best to come here to be born in that both humble and humiliating way and to live and to die that humiliating death all because of a great love for us. And thank you that when that happened, the Lord Jesus came down as the glory of the one and only you yourself. So we thank you for that and thank you that we can meditate on these thoughts together now and rejoice in them and help us to continue to rejoice throughout the season. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're still in Luke chapter 2. We were there last week. Luke chapter 2. And if you would look there, it's a very familiar story to each one of us. There is a word that appears three times in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And I'm not going to read all those verses again. Uh, Some of them were read by Karen earlier, and we read all of them last week, and in fact, a couple of times. And I think it's well known to us. But there's a word that appears three times, or at least a derivative from the same word, three times in Luke 2, 8 to 20. And I'm not thinking of the word shepherds, that's four times, nor am I thinking of the word angels, that's four times also, plus if you add the heavenly host, that would be a fifth time. There's another word. Anybody have an idea what it is? You're reading the screen. You're too shrewd, you've caught on to me. We're thinking in terms of the word glory or glorifying You see it in Luke chapter 2, verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. So keep in mind, glory of the Lord. But we see a little bit further on in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So if you notice what's going on, the word glory or glorifying, in verse 9, it seems like the glory of God is some kind of great light. It says it shone. It was something that was very visible. It was the glory of the Lord. In verse 14, it was not the glory of the Lord, but glory to the Lord that was called for by the angels. It was accompanied by praising God and seemed somehow related to worship of God. And then in verse 20, there's more praising and glorifying God. Once again, the glorifying was directed to God. This time it was the shepherds who were doing that. Well, what is this glory of the Lord? And what does it mean, the glory of and the glory to? How are they different? And when we put them together, where does that leave us? First of all, what is glory? Looking just at a simple definition of the word glory, it is the Hebrew kabod. I'm sorry, it's not kebab for those of you that are didn't get your breakfast, or those of you that are getting hungry. It's kabod. It means weight. And somebody says, well, that's not a good thing. Um, it is in this sense. It's weight 
or to be heavy in the sense of having great substance. There is a whole lot to this word glory. If somebody is possessed with that, that means they're quite substantial in the best senses of the word. It means wealth and honor and dignity and power and putting together all of these great attributes that are there. The Greek word is doxa, meaning reputation or fame or splendor or honor or praise or majesty. And you can string together all of these great words in both of these languages. When we're talking about the glory of God, we are talking about somebody who is quite, quite substantial and is possessed of all of these great things. The glory of God is a whole lot more than just saying God is somebody who is extra special. Take all the superlatives that you can find and string them all together. And that's what we're referring to when we talk about the glory of God. Unger from Unger's Bible Dictionary said, It is the exercise and display of what constitutes the distinctive excellence of the subject of which it is spoken. Thus, in respect to God... Here's what he says. His glory is the manifestation of his divine attributes and perfections. The manifestation, that is, showing forth his divine attributes and his perfections. It's putting on display the greatest things possible about God. I've always been taught this definition. God's glory is the sum total of his attributes put on display. So when we're talking about God's glory, we're not isolating one little feature of God. We're encompassing all of those great features of God. In fact, in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 19, Moses said, and he's talking to the Lord, now show me your glory. Now what's that going to look like? Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause... All my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, that's Yahweh, in your presence. Show me your glory. I'm going to show you all of my goodness. Somehow that's going to pass in front of you. That's the glory of God. Put that word all in front of his attributes, and that's what we're finding in this case. All of his goodness, all of his righteousness, all the things that we can be, we can be saying about God that are extraordinary. So the glory of the Lord is his weight or his substance revealed. The glory to the Lord is declaring his weight to him and to others. God possesses the glory. What we do here is to help people to see that. We help to display that glory. We point them to the Lord of glory. Another um, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia puts it this way, as used of God, the word glory is deemed particularly appropriate for describing his moral uniqueness and grandeur as Lord of the universe. But every definition you come upon says the same thing. It is something that is amazingly beyond any simple explanation of glory. It's taking everything about God, all of his excellencies, all of his perfections, all of his goodness, and putting it on display. That's the glory of God. 
a multitude of the heavenly host was declaring God's weight to the shepherds. We read about that in Luke 2. The shepherds were declaring God's weight to an unmentioned audience, presumably anyone who would listen. And we saw that as well. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So whoever they met, they were glorifying God with the news of everything that had just happened to them. Can you imagine them telling people what had just happened? Telling about that heavenly host, telling about the declaration that there was a Savior that was born that would save the world from sin. Now let's take God's glory a step further. Do you realize God's glory is seen all over everywhere in what he has made? Once again, God putting on display as we look into the sky on a cloudless night and we see the stars, as we even view the sun, which is probably the pinnacle of God's creation for us on on the planet. When we look and we see all of those things, we're reminded again of the glory of God. You'll turn with me to Psalm 19 for just a moment, please. Psalm 19. This was something that was written to the choir master. A psalm of David, we're told. And here's what it starts out by saying. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Then it continues, There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. You can see in these verses what I like to use as a description of Two superstar missionaries. And if you don't understand what I mean by that, you will in just a second. What is described in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, two superstar missionaries. And these superstar missionaries, as great as our missionaries are, and aren't you proud of our missionary family? We've got over 50 missionaries who are serving God all throughout the world. They've given up what many people view as essentials, these great things that we have in America to enjoy. And many of them are often places where they they barely see or even hear about some of the things we take for granted here. But as great as our missionaries are, the two that I have in mind from these four verses here, these two superstar missionaries, are unparalleled and unrivaled. There are no missionaries here like those two. The two superstar missionaries in Psalm 19, 1-4 work harder than any of our missionaries. They keep at it every single day, every single night without stopping. They don't ever sleep. They don't get tired. They don't get discouraged. They don't ever leave the field for home assignments or for any other reasons. They don't take days off. They don't even have holiday leave. They are omnilingual. They can communicate to every tribe, dialect, people, group, or individual. And they not only can do that, they actually do it as well. They reach every person on the planet with their message. They're committed to telling people about the king of glory. They want people to know about God's glory. So that's what they do. They let everyone know. 
And who are these two superstar missionaries? We're told they're the heavens and the sky. Look again at those verses, if you will. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. They're examples of what we call natural or general revelation. Natural revelation. Some people call it nature. That when you look to see what God has created, you're drawn to the fact that there is a creator who must be very, very powerful for him to have been able to create everything that he did. So natural or general revelation includes what God has made. It also includes our consciences. And what it's telling us here as well as elsewhere in Scripture is that because these two superstar missionaries are always there, the heavens and the sky, and what God has created, it is always there. It's always speaking. It's always compelling people. You must believe in a creator. You must believe there's something beyond us. You've got to believe in more than chance. You've got to believe that things didn't just happen accidentally. You've got to believe in a creator. And because that's true, there's nobody on the planet who has an excuse for not reaching out to find out more about that God that they can see in creation. Sometimes people say, well, it's not fair. There are people that don't have a Bible. There are people that don't have any knowledge of God. The Bible says, no, everybody has knowledge of God. They can see it in creation. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Nobody has an excuse to say, nobody ever told me about God. Yes, two superstar missionaries did. Every time you look into the sky, you see a compelling evidence of the glory of the God who created all of that. Romans chapter 2, verse 15, talks about our consciences. Everybody has a conscience. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. There's a conscience that is working, that is causing people to say, you know what, this is wrong, this is bad, this is evil. And all of that points to the idea that there's got to be some moral power behind all of this as well. So we've got natural revelation, general revelation. It's seen in nature. It's seen in our consciences. But there's also special revelation. Special revelation includes the living word of God. That's the Lord Jesus. And the written word of God. Obviously, that's the Bible. So when we're talking about revelation, what we're talking about, natural revelation, leads the horse to the water but doesn't make him drink. They can be aware that there's a God, but they still need special revelation. They need to know about the Lord Jesus. They need to know from his word who he is and how he saved them. That's something that as God gives them more and more light and they respond to that light, he's obligated himself to give them more and more until they can come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus if they respond in kind. Talking again about this natural revelation, what we see in nature, what we see in creation, Uh, Does anybody recognize who this is? I'll give you a hint. He's got a brother named Fig. Um, This is Isaac Newton, and his brother's Fig Newton. Um, Anyway, you can see, if you just look on the screen behind him, he was pretty smart. Although I think some of you recognize some of those formulas. Is that force equals mass? Well, never mind. We won't get into that. 
But many years ago, Isaac Newton made a working model of our solar system. Uh, some of you can see that pictured on the screen. Let me describe that for those of you that can't. At its center was a large golden ball representing the sun, and revolving around it were the planets, smaller spheres attached at the ends of rods of varying lengths. And uh, the story is told, the man says, a friend who did not believe in the biblical account of creation stopped by for a visit. Watching as Newton made the tiny planets move in their orbits, the man exclaimed, my, what an exquisite thing. Who made it? Without looking up, Newton replied, nobody. Nobody, his friend asked. That's right. These balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together. And by chance, they began revolving in their set orbits with perfect timing. The unbeliever got the message. It was foolish to suppose that the model merely happened. But it was even more senseless to accept the theory that the earth and the vast universe came into being by chance. Natural revelation demands glory be given to the creator. Do you understand what I'm saying there? It demands that. Someone expressed it this way. If one footprint on the sand convinced Robinson Crusoe that a person was on his island, then by the same logic, we know that a creator made the world because he left, as it were, countless footprints of his activities. And one of those footprints is the sky. Natural revelation points to special revelation. These verses that we see in Psalm 19 and elsewhere in Scripture in Romans that we read, they place responsibility on us because natural revelation is preliminary revelation. As I mentioned before, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. But this natural revelation that we have points to more. Natural revelation is not going to save anybody. Nobody's going to get saved on the basis of saying, oh, look, at there's creation, there must be a creator somewhere. That's not going to save anybody. That's going to get somebody started on the right road. It points them in that proper direction. God has commissioned us, though, to be his guides to help people find the real fullness of his glory in salvation. He's given us the privilege of being his ambassadors of helping other people to know his glory. And what better time than at Christmas to be able to say a word to someone. God's glory, we're told, fills the heavens, but it's beyond the heavens, it's above the heavens. His glory fills the whole earth. The concept is all over the Bible. In Psalm 8, verses 1 to 5, if you want to listen, and I'll I'll read these verses. Psalm 8, 1 to 5. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. We see it all through the Scriptures, two verses in Psalm that are identical. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. 
Psalm 113, verse 4, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. In Psalm 113, we see it again, verse 4, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Numbers 14, 21, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. It's all there for us to show someone the glory of God and to take them further and to say, look at what we see out here. We can do it at Christmas. Something big must have happened, somebody said once. Christmas celebrations going on all over the world. Something must have happened. What was it? We have the privilege to be able to tell people about that. We were having lunch with our granddaughter, with Dawn, on Friday. And at the restaurant, there was a a lady who was serving us, and she came, and uh, as she came to the table, and we talked with her a little bit and had a lot of fun with her because wherever we take Dawn, everybody comes up and wants to be around her. They always always say nice things about her. But we were there, and and I said to her, "Um, by the way, are there any good churches around here? And she started to explain to me, well, I don't really live around here. I live out further toward Lancaster, and I do a long commute, so I don't really know. Uh, well, where do you go to church? And we talked about her church in Lancaster and then found out that she was a believer. And when she left, I said to Dawn, why do you think I asked her where she went to church? Do you think I was really curious about what church she went to? And I explained to her, that's an opening to get somebody to talk about something there's so many openings, and, and we, we can't let these opportunities pass by. But to say, where do you go to church, leads to a discussion. And had she not been a believer, it would have led somewhere else than it did. But it led to some believers being able to share together what we have in Christ. These opportunities abound at Christmas. To be thinking about the glory of God, to be sharing about the glory of God, to be praying for opportunities to do that as well. Because sharing God's glory, if you can believe this, is our primary purpose for existing. Stop and think about that for a moment. It's our primary purpose for existing. It's sharing God's glory with others. Psalm 96, verses 3 and 4. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all God's. But that's been a call to God's people from Old Testament times to New Testament times. Declare his glory among the nations. Psalm 96, verses 7 to 9. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Do you realize all of our service should be directed toward God's glory? We know this verse, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give you glory. Is that what it says? Now, that's the reversed version. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're letting our light shine so they can see our good works. We don't have to do every good work in a closet. They can see what we're doing. But the glory goes to the Father 
who is in heaven. That's what Jesus told us. That's the way he told us that it should be. As we uh, look further into this, let me tell you a story that someone mentioned. Someone wrote this, in December each year, a neighborhood of 13 families near where we live sets up a dazzling display of 300,000 Christmas lights. People drive for miles and wait in line for hours to see the flashing colorful lights and hear the music that is programmed to go with it. The sound and light display is so elaborate that it requires a network of 64 computers to keep everything synchronized. And this writer says, when I think about these holiday lights, I am reminded of the light that makes Christmas a holiday for many. A single light so bright that it illuminates the whole world with truth, justice, and love. This light Jesus is everything that the world is longing and looking for, and he has told his followers to display his light so that others will see and glorify God. That's Matthew 5, 16, all over again. Now let's shift gears away from Christmas lights to most of your favorite subject, basketball. According to the International Basketball Federation, basketball is the world's second most popular sport with an estimated 450 million followers in countries around the globe. In the United States, the annual NCAA tournament in March often brings mention of legendary coach... Help me out here, somebody. John Wooden. That hardware that you see on the screen, and if you're not able to see the screen... The screen is littered with all kinds of trophies and plaques and certificates of recognition that John Wooden has won over the years. He is absolutely legendary. During his 27 years at UCLA, his teams won an unprecedented 10 national championship titles. Yet today, John Wooden, who died in 2010, is remembered not just for what he accomplished but for the person that he was. He lived out his Christian faith and his genuine concern for others in an environment often obsessed with winning and obsessed with pride. In his autobiography, They Call Me Coach, he wrote, I always tried to make it clear that basketball is not the ultimate. It is of small importance in comparison to the total life we live. There is only one kind of life that truly wins, and that is the one that places faith in the hands of the Savior. Until that is done, we are on an aimless course that runs in circles and goes nowhere. John Wooden honored God in all that he did, and his example challenged us to do the same. And the writer of this article said, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's our calling, to glorify the Lord That's more important than anything else that we do. Jesus said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That when people see the fruit in our lives, they're able to see that there's something beyond us. Same as Matthew 5, 16. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? Boy, that was a little unwelcome. Do all to the glory of God. That's the highest calling that 
each one of us has. Highest aim to glorify God. The Westminster Confession states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Someone else has put it this way. The end of all things is the glory of God. And only as we also adopt this as our real goal in life are we living on the highest plane and in full harmony with the purposes of God. Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Christmas time, a time for us to be thinking about God's glory. There are a whole lot of other things to think about, but God's glory and sharing God's glory, and there will be triggers all throughout the season to help to remind us of God's glory. Let's play Let's Make a Tune. Do all of you know what Let's Make a Tune is? Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Where does that come from? Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Okay, I'll come all ye faithful. We'll give him all the glory. I'm going to help you with this one because it comes from hymn 82 in our hymn book. The hymn, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. And one of the verses, We'll give him all the glory. Here's one. Glory stream from heaven afar. Can you name that tune? Wow, I couldn't. Everybody said it all at once. Silent night. Glory stream from heaven afar. How about this one? And the glory, the glory of the Lord. Where's that from? Messiah. Probably hear Messiah at some point during the Christmas season. Glory to the newborn king. Name that tune. Oh, that was quick. Hark the herald angels sing. How about this one? Angels we have heard on high. And think about this. This is these are triggers. These are triggers. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in that song. You know how many syllables it has? You know how many notes it has? 18. You can count them. So by the time you get through that glory, you count them. There are 18 of them. A trigger to remind us. This is all as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ for us to be able to bring glory to him. We don't increase his glory We just point to it so that people can see his glory. Glory to God forever. If you don't know that one, you will very shortly. Go tell it on the mountain. doesn't have the word glory in it. But go tell it on the mountain is what we're called to do. And that's why we sing that at Christmas. What a great privilege to be able to see God's glory on display everywhere and the things that God has made, but it, God's glory is on display all over the Christmas season. All of the lights, all the, all the reminders, Christmas trees remind us of Jesus. Everything reminds us of Jesus. So many opportunities. So let me encourage all of us to go tell it on the mountain, but not just on the mountain. Bring people to some of our outreaches. Tonight, Dan Hagman is going to be sharing a testimony that if People don't know how to receive Christ after hearing his testimony. They will never, ever understand anything. So, so please think about what can I do to glorify God. It's not about my having a good time tonight. 
It's about my having the privilege of seeing somebody have the greatest time they'll ever have. John 1.14. Let's close with John 14. John 1.14. You know the verse very well, but you may know it from three or four different translations. So let me read this. John chapter 1 talks about beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and goes on to talk more about the Word, talks about clearly the Word being Jesus. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His, what? We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We've seen that, John says. We've all seen it. We get the privilege of helping others to see that glory as well. Heavenly Father, thank you that we've seen your glory. You've shown us in natural revelation. You've shown us in your word. You've shown us in the person of the Lord Jesus. And our chief ambition is to glorify you. So help us to do it in the way we live, but help us also to do it in the things that we say and the people that you take us to so that they also may be able to see the glory that we're pointing to in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.